0: So, head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Hi and welcome to episode 34 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And before we get to today's letter to food, I want to let you know that I have a cool new thing that I want to share with you. And many of you have contacted me over the last few months wondering where you could get your own food piece syllabus. And if you're new to the Love Food podcast, we have a food piece syllabus. Um, it's this kind of resource for all of the books and videos and apps and blogs that um, myself and other people who are on the show that we have gathered to further help cultivate a person's food peace journey and positive body image. And I have put together a resource so you don't have to go through each show notes and um, listen to all the podcasts again. I have put together a resource so you can have it all in one place. And all you need to do to get it, it's really easy. You just go to my website, juliedillonrd.com, and be sure to spell Dylan like Matt or Kevin Dillon, not Bob Dillon. Um, So D-I-L-L-O-N. So go to juliedillonrd.com and you will find a place for you to um, sign up for my email list. So you will get the food piece syllabus directly to your email. And the thing that's really cool about this food piece syllabus is it will have, um, it'll be a PDF and there's links to all the resources right there for you and um, so you can have access to all of them right at your fingertips and by signing up for my food peace syllabus what you're signing up for is just this free weekly newsletter that i send out every tuesday um, there's no spam ever it's just um, a link to my most current episode and then any other resource that i've been um, noticing throughout the week or any news story that i think is important that will help you further your your um, journey with your relationship with food So I hope that helps, and I can't wait to hear what you think about this food piece syllabus. And let's go ahead and get to today's letter. Dear Food, It started out a little chaotic. Dad worked hard every day to provide for us, and Mom was struggling very hard with depression. Don't get me wrong, I had an overall wonderful childhood and parents who loved me so much and did the best that they could to raise me. But as life is, nothing is perfect, and some things had to be put on the back burner. Unfortunately, that thing in my household was you, food. You were necessary, of course, but I would not say that you were a priority. Here's what I mean. In my household, it really was feast or famine. Sometimes we had an abundance of food, usually after my mom had the energy to take us to the store for a very large shopping trip. We would stock up on all kinds of goodies. I remember my feelings about that. On one hand, embarrassed at how high our cart would be packed full of food at the store, but on the other hand, excited that we would have stuff in the cupboard when we opened it. For a few weeks, things were good. I would be able to go to the freezer after school and pull out a package of toaster strudels to heat up for a snack. After I had those, I would sometimes have a few more, and then a few more, until I felt sick. Then the shame would set in. I knew my brothers would soon come in, asking where they all went. And then would come the jokes about me being fat. Why did I have to eat so much? Fast forward another week and I would open up the cupboard or refrigerator or freezer and see that most of you were gone. I remember rummaging through the cupboard to find whatever I could to try and satisfy my hunger. My parents never let me go hungry for too long and made sure to provide for me in some way, usually with a pizza or fast food pickup on the way home, but I never really knew when that was going to happen. I remember being jealous when my neighborhood friends had to pause our playtime in the evening to go and have dinner with their parents. Their mom would call, boys, supper time, and they would run inside for about 30 minutes. Typically, I spent this time by myself tooling around outside their house waiting for them to come back out and play. On occasion, their mom would ask if I needed to go home for dinner too. This brought me feelings of shame and sadness. My family didn't have a supper time, and my mom very rarely interrupted my playtime for me to come in and eat. Fast forward again 20 years to the present. I am now in my 30s, and I have a home and a wonderful husband. Overall, I have a beautiful life. And you, food? Your importance in my household has changed quite a bit since my childhood days, and in some ways, this has been good. We don't run out of you in in my household, or anything for that matter. We have meals together almost every night. Not only have I learned to cook and bake, but because of you, I have been able to bond with my parents in ways we never did when I was a child. And for that, I thank you. Unfortunately, though, old habits die hard. My childhood patterns of eating until I was sick and then going without food has continued into my adult life. For this, I feel a great sense of shame. It's hard for me to even make the connection between my childhood and current patterns of behavior because it feels like a cop-out, but I don't know what else to do. Though my brain tries to convince me otherwise, I know that I'm not just a lazy, fat loser who lacks self-control. I've climbed a mountain, ran a marathon, graduated magna cum laude, and planned and executed a several-month backpacking trip to Europe by myself. Lazy losers don't do these kinds of things. But something is wrong, food. Something in my brain tells me that when things are going wrong, it must be because I either have too much of you or need to cut some of you out of my life. Fairly frequently, I eat and eat until I'm sick. Sometimes I go long periods of time without having some of you in my life. 2005 was my year of no sweets. No matter what the problem is, my brain believes the answer is, in some way, fixing my relationship with you. For six months now, I have been on the road to recovery. I've been trying to make peace with you, but it's still very hard. These patterns of relating to you and relating to my body are so incredibly ingrained in my mind, I really do wonder if there's any way they will change. The best I can do is hope and remember that others in my situation have been told to find peace with you, so maybe I can too. Best wishes, Child at Heart. Child at Heart, thank you so much for your letter. I really appreciate you putting down those words and experiences And describing the way that you're currently relating to food, I think you've brought up a really important topic that I don't hear a lot of people talking about when it relates to food and our body and how we relate to all those things. And that's food insecurity. I think, um, you know, people often will talk about poverty or um, not having access to food enough. But I don't think they really. I don't think there's a lot of conversations about how that long term affects our ways of relating to food. And I, I do think it's something that's really important. I don't think it's a cop out. You know, you never knew when you were going to have a meal. Um, you also had a parent. That was experiencing a chronic, very hard to treat illness, um, her depression. So those are two really stressful things. And I, I can, I know without a doubt there are many needs that you did not get met. Um, and I don't think it was anyone's fault. I think it's just what happened. And I don't think it's a cop out to, for you to explain that. This is the reason why you have a complicated relationship with food. Um, But I think we have something else to blame. You know, we do live in this world that considers fat people to be lazy losers. Like you said, you know, that that's a stereotype that you have in your head and you've integrated into your brain about yourself, um, which there's no basis in it. It's just a cultural kind of myth. And I, I, I don't wonder, like you mentioned all these accomplishments. I wonder if that's why you did all those things to kind of prove to the world, you know, even though you're assuming I'm a, a lazy loser, look at all the things I've done. That's that kind of helps you to, to realize that I'm really not. Um, but, you know, I think your way of being brought up around food is something that is complicated. And I also think it's something that you can heal from so let's call another dietitian. Her name's Emily Fonsbeck. She's a dietitian that um, also uses weight neutral non-diet approaches just like myself. And I think she's going to have some insight for us. So let's give her a call. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great, too. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to help me with this letter. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, thanks. Well, and I'm hoping you had a chance to read over it. And I am wondering... You know, what's your impression about what she's experiencing? I did read it. And I would
1: say my overall impression from this letter is something I actually see in so many people, which is that their childhood food patterns have really carried over into adulthood. And what's actually kind of unique about this letter is that it's very apparent that she has a real awareness for that. A lot of individuals don't really realize how much their childhood is influencing their current behaviors. Um, and that's obvious that she she sees that. And I'd actually applaud her for really validating and aiming to understand those feelings and experiences because that can be really, really healing
0: in a lot of ways. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I bet that awareness is something that is really going to help her, but also it has some sting to it because she's like aware of all of it. You know, she's aware oh, yeah. of all the like goop in there. Um, but I agree. I think it's really um it takes a lot of courage to like peel back some of this dark stuff that she was describing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what do you feel like are some of the first steps she could take to work towards healing? Because I feel like that's what she's saying. You know, she wants to like have a different way of relating to food. But yeah, how could she start? You know, I've.
1: I thought about this and I, I think there's two really big things that stick out to me. So the first is, I actually wonder if food is a lot more symbolic for her than she realizes, like, I really appreciate how much she's tried to, to create an experience for her family now that was much different than her own. So by having adequate food in the house, by having regular meal times, family meals in particular. Um, and she's created that for herself, but I really wonder if, um, what she's actually missing or was, was missing when she was younger is not necessarily the food, but maybe what it represents like attention and affection and feeling important and a priority and, And having someone that's concerned about her welfare and well-being and and just really feeling validated for having wants and needs in particular to be satisfied from food. And so what I would really encourage her to do is to do to be that for herself, you know, like validate that she has wants and needs and that her welfare and well-being are important and that she, you know, in particular really has this physiological and psychological drive and need and um, want to feel satisfied from
0: food. Mm, Yeah, you know, I was wondering the same thing, because, or I was kind of uh, trying to decipher from reading the letter, like, what is food symbolizing? And, you know, she had this parent that was suffering with this like chronic illness that was really hard to treat. And of course, she also was food insecure, you know, maybe because Mm -hmm. of that and because of some other things. But so I'm assuming there were other things that were not being met too? Like the, yeah, like you said, like attention or affection, you know, what other things did she not get met besides food? And I think that's really important for her to appreciate is that she can do that for herself. And, and it's all, it's okay. I feel like we need also need to like, let her know. It's okay that It's that these things from her childhood did affect her in such a way. Like, you know, she was calling it like a cop out. I'm like, oh, it's not a cop out. Like, that's a really big deal to experience food in that way and have a parent who is sick, you know, and not well in so many ways. So they can't provide and nurture for you. So, yeah, I don't know if you if what you think about that. I agree. Exactly. Like there's, there's a level of self-compassion
1: that I think will be so important here. Like a really healthy dose of self-compassion can be some Mm -hmm. really great medicine. Like she said, you know, she said, um, that, you know, her gut saying that, no, I'm not actually lazy and I'm not a failure. I've done a lot of really amazing things, but, that some, in some way, shape or form, I'm starting to feel like that's true because I can't figure out this food stuff. And that's something that's so common. Mm-hmm. Um, like the real fixing doesn't necessarily maybe have anything to do with food or weight or body, but more so, um, some of these other factors we've considered.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I feel like the thing that makes it complicated is, um, she is seeing her body, as a a larger body, as a fat body, and we have these stereotypes anyway that Mm -hmm. fat bodies are from people who are lazy and losers, and which are such horrible, like, shame-induced kind of connections and stereotypes, but it sounds like she's, like, it kind of further enhanced this complicated relationship with food because of these, like, cultural assumptions. For sure. Yeah.
1: And, of course, um, uh, she talks about that a little bit in childhood as well, you know, how she felt like she was shamed a little bit for how much she was eating or um what her body size was. So mm-hmm. it it follows that that would follow her,
0: yeah, yeah. And I don't I wonder if um people who aren't dietitians can appreciate, you know, when a person is going through food insecurity, whether it's from dieting or from financially just not having enough or because your parents weren't able to provide. But like when a person doesn't get enough food and then they're finally around food, it's like human survival. Like it's genetically programmed into us to eat and not stop until the food's gone. You know, it's just her being a successful human. And um, it sucks (laughs) that she like twists it into like, well, obviously I have no control or, you know, that, I'm I'm just a loser, but it's really no, like she's just doing what her body is supposed to do. And um, food insecurity, I think, is something that's not talked about enough when we talk about um, just health promotion um, as it could be food insecurity because of poverty or because of constant dieting. But they're going to like kick in these physiological needs just to like have food. And so much of this, I feel like it's probably still in her like in her body, you know, her body still has this like threat of deprivation.
1: I agree. And that is so, so important to consider here. Because, you know, while she might be blaming her behaviors on a lack of willpower or self control, or being able to fix this or be more disciplined with food, it's really, you know, when deprivation or restriction, or a diet is lurking around the corner. Um, it's super natural to eat whatever you need to right now in order to counteract that threat that's ahead. Right. And mm-hmm. so I love you the a successful human. That's exactly what it is. I mean, this isn't, this, this is not a lack of willpower, self-control, but a really natural response, biological response to inadequate, inconsistent and irregular food patterns, mm-hmm. which could be like you say, for a variety of reasons. In this case, it does seem to be that she has the means to buy the food. It's really just... Um, this real fear of overeating. And, and that's the real paradox, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're so afraid of overeating, then we
0: restrict, which only encourages overeating. Yes. And that's why the pursuit of weight loss, if like someone wants to heal the relationship with food, the pursuit of weight loss can't be there because it's, Always going to be that threat of deprivation. Then I'm like, I feel like it's the conversation I'm having 20 times a day, you know, with people yeah. it's like, "Why can't I work on losing weight and heal our relationship with food?" I'm like, "It's because of this, you know, because it'll continue to be this cycle um, until someone just doesn't pursue it anymore." And you know, I, this is when I wish we could have the letter writer with us, or even better, like the letter writer as a child, like when she was feeling so sick with shame from eating all the toaster strudels, um, which I have to say, honestly, I have memories of coming home from school. Uh, my parents worked when I was growing up. And so I'd come home from school and I remember like going through the kitchen and finding toaster strudels in the freezer and like having lots of those too. Because there's something about like that after-school hunger that is just mm-hmm. like mind blowing. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I wish we had that like little girl here. We could be like, you know, you don't have to feel ashamed of it. You were just doing that because your body needed it. Um, It's not your fault. Like it wasn't your fault. And um, I don't know. I hope she can just just know that like it wasn't her fault that she kept eating. It was really just her body trying to save her.
1: Yes, I agree a thousand percent. And that I think is exactly what she was probably needing then. And what maybe food now represents for her, like what What is it now that you can do to support yourself in this process? And that right there to tell yourself that it is okay, that this isn't um, because I'm broken and need to be fixed, but instead it's because I want to feel food secure. I want to feel like I have enough to eat regularly.
0: Mm, Yeah. Oh, well, Well, we can can send her positive vibes and hopefully she (laughs) can... you know, dismantle that shame and put it where it needs to go, kick it to the curb. Um, Well, you know, I'm wondering, Emily, if you have anything that you would like to add to our food peace syllabus. Um, If you're new to the podcast, we have a food peace syllabus where we have cultivated all the different types of resources, whether books or blogs or videos or apps that can further help your relationship with food. And I actually just put together the food piece syllabus for the first 30 episodes that you can get on my website. So I'm starting the next round now. And I'm wondering if you would like to add anything to that. I do have a couple of things in mind. So actually the first one is a book called the
1: happiness trap and it's written by, um, Oh, uh, Russ Harris is his name. And it's actually a very user friendly version of a a kind of complex system, if you will, Called acceptance commitment therapy, which I think is the perfect fit for disordered eating or body image issues. And it really allows uh, the reader to recognize to know how to validate and understand thoughts and and feelings without necessarily becoming them, Mm. and instead moving towards what they value. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recommend this book for everyone. I'm trying to bribe my 11 year old to read it. Actually, it's not working very well, <laughs> but it's something I recommend to everyone. I think it can be really eye opening and a different way to think about um, how all of our thoughts don't have to be fact. Like just because they're there, it doesn't necessarily
0: mean they're real or or truth. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with this letter writer, you know, feeling the shame or feeling like she's a loser. um, you know that doesn't mean necessarily it's a fact, and I love ACT for that reason. It does like it. It doesn't like avoid anything. It like just is an awareness, and then you know deciding what you really value. You know, it's like you said. So I actually haven't read. I haven't read that. So. I want to look into that one. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, I think you'll love it. Yeah,
1: it's uh, I think where she'll really enjoy it is that ability to make room for the feeling without necessarily feeling shame for it, just understanding why it's there and then being able to move towards what she values, which is right now so great to hear that she's been on this road to recovery. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that can help her.
0: Awesome. That's a really great one.
1: And then the second one is actually a article via mindful.org. It's about self-compassion. Now, obviously, self-compassion, there's a lot of great resources. Kristen Neff being kind of the champion for that movement. And this article actually references her work. And so the reader could, could definitely look further into this. But what I love about this particular article is it applies self-compassion to eating. And we start to see what a missing component and tool and skill it can be in terms of uh, for anyone in how they eat and what they eat. And also, um, especially
0: healing a relationship with food. So mm-hmm. Kristen Neff's work is amazing and so important. And I, I do feel like I have this kind of like saying that I feel that compassionate curiosity is the foundation for food peace. And like, you know, we really to have need to have this like self compassion in order to like heal this relationship and just notice like all these different parts and pieces and where they came about and. Really learn how to to not judge them because then it's like – then the path kind of opens up. (laughs) So I'm excited to put – I'll put a link in the show notes for Happiness Trap and also for this article. Those sound perfect. Perfect for this letter writer and for those uh, listening too. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. Well, Emily, you've been really helpful. Um, I'm excited for this letter writer to hear your thoughts. And, you know, if this letter writer or anyone else who's listening is interested in your work, is there a way that they can get a hold of you?
1: Yes. So you can actually find me at emilyfonsbeck.com. I'll spell that F-O-N-N-E-S-B-E-C-K. And um, from there, you can link to almost all my social media accounts as well. It, mm-hmm. I'm my handle is Emily Fonsbeck on those. So,
0: mm-hmm. and I love your blog, listeners. Thank you. She an amazing blog. It's always like spot on and um, super helpful. And you also will find it to be something that will like further help cultivate your relationship with food um, and not be doing this like diet roller coaster thing. Like your blog totally helps with repair work. I love it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for all your work and thank you so much for your time today. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Child at heart. I hope you were able to gather some nuggets to um, further help cultivate you to have a safer, easier, healthier relationship with food. And certainly Emily brought up some really important parts and namely I think that really we really want you to remove that shame that you feel from your past experiences with food and really, you know, look and examine what you're experiencing, the thoughts you're having, the feelings you're having, and then decide which ones you want to keep. And by removing the shame, I think that'll help you to clarify which ones those are. I see food has written you back. So let's go hear what food has to say. Until then, um, thank you so much for your letter and your words, and keep in touch. We want to know how things go. Take care. Dear child at heart, every time we meet, we never know how long we will be together. Even though we aren't going anywhere, it's still scary to think about the what ifs. We food know you feel ashamed of your childhood food experiences. Yet, always remember you were surviving and you were doing what any other kid would do. We encourage you to remove the cloak of shame and stop feeling like you have something to prove to the world. Moving forward without these shackles will clear your path to peace and allow you to appreciate how amazing you already are. Love food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your dear food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Love Food series. Have you enjoyed the show, or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at EatingPermitRG. Take care.